Hello, and welcome back to the Magic for Realists podcast. This is the eighth dose, and it's called an expose on money. My name is Lindsay Celeste, and I'm making this podcast, one, because it's enjoyable, and more broadly, because I believe that there's magic to be found in our everyday life, in the things we might consider normal or mundane And I want to talk about those and elevate them, like, as in put them on a special shelf and make them pretty, or make them ugly, or make them just noticeable to bring our attention to some things we might not otherwise think about. And hopefully in doing so, add some contentment and awareness and playfulness to our lives, mine and yours. And so thank you for listening. This week, I'm talking about money, partly because it's on my mind. Well, mostly because it's on my mind. And because money isn't often talked about. And, or, if it is, it's funny, I was I was walking in the forest and I passed, these joggers passed me one direction and then they got to the end of their loop and passed me on the way back so like 10 minutes apart and both times this set of three joggers was talking about money so maybe people talk about money a lot but I've spent a lot of my life not talking about money and I think that's caused me some shame and some difficulty that could have been alleviated just by ease of talking that maybe then I would have known what was going on for other people. Maybe I would have been able to get some advice. It just wouldn't have felt so lonely. Um, So I want to try talking about money and in doing so, hopefully just kind of bring it into the light a little bit. This is not a deeply philosophical talk, though I'm sure I will sprinkle in some philosophy. I just want to give you eight little snippets of thoughts or stories of mine about money. And hopefully you'll pick up a little coin of something useful. The first one is to expand on this notion that we keep our money quite secretive. I was thinking about how much I've shared with other people. I've shared my house, I've shared my body, I've shared my thoughts. And I've shared my money, as in like given it away or, you know, bought things together with other people, but I don't actually share my financial situation. Like there's very few people who have any sort of, I mean, I'm sure lots of people guess at my financial situation, but the people who actually know are like, in truth, nobody other than me right now knows the exact state of my finances. Like, some people I share, you know, some round figures with, but I'm the only one that knows. Which, there's lots of things that only I know. That's kind of the nature of being an individual. But I just noticed that money is one of the things I keep the most secret. Like, of all the kind of yeah, just the long-standing things that I have kept private. My finances are one of them. I'm not saying this is necessarily good or bad. Just noticing that I'm private about my money. And 
sometimes that's been a source of pride. Like I, I don't want people to know my situation either because I'm ashamed of it or because I'm proud of it. And also I want to be slightly mysterious that I, I want people to wonder how I make it work. (laughs) Sometimes that's because I wonder how I make it work. (laughs) Um, so I wonder, are you secretive about your money? Or or is it something that lots of people know? And yeah, I think there must be advantages to either one. I don't want to be the joggers who are always talking about money. But I think potentially having it more out in the open, like I said at the beginning, might be beneficial. Uh, I... I did a R I did an RRSP contribution this week for the first time in my life. And I felt so grown up. I actually figured out so in broad strokes for most all of my adult life I have made under the minimum amount where you have to pay income tax. And so this year is my first year making above that amount. So I'm learning about income tax. Like I've always filed taxes, but I've never had to pay income tax. I always get money back. So this year I'm learning what happens when you have to pay tax. And I'm determined to not see that as like a a terrible thing because I enjoy so many things in the Canadian government system. That's a whole other episode. But uh, anyways, I'm learning about taxes in a different way. And I'm learning about contributing to RRSPs as, and how that affects my taxes. So I made an, a large RRSP contribution, large in my books. Um, and I felt so grown up. <laughs> yeah, and I've never heard somebody else announce that. So I just want to announce it, not as a source of, well, maybe I'm boasting, but because it would have really helped me if other people had told me whether they were doing that or not. Like, maybe none of my peers were for the last 10 years, or maybe they were and weren't talking about it. But yeah, it sort of seems like there's these adult realms that I don't know when you get in on them, but I think I just got into another adult realm (laughs) because I started a big savings account. Uh, I'm smiling as I say this because this whole notion of what adulthood is, like I don't think an RRSP makes me necessarily financially responsible because the large thing I want to impart in all these little stories is that money itself is conceptual. Like what money, there's the physical thing that money is, but predominantly money is an idea. Money is an agreement between people in a culture of value and worth and it's an elaborate way to cash in later on on labor or something that society has deemed worthwhile that you did. And then later you want to cash it in. It's an agreement. The money itself is not really going to prov- do anything for your immediate needs. You can't eat it. If you burn it, it's not going to make much heat. So you are counting on the agreement that... Like, I'm counting on the agreement that this number, which currently I've only seen on my phone banking app, is in 
X number of years going to still be agreed upon to be worth something. Like there, it's amazing how much we have built on the agreement of money. And this is so important to consider because we can get really realistic about money. Like we can think it's really the be all end all. And that needs to be held in light of it being a means to the thing that we want. We want to be fed, be warm, be loved, be housed, be traveling, whatever it is. The money is the thing we think will get us there and often does, but it's only because the agreement works. That I can show up at a coffee shop with a little blue square piece of paper and give it to them and they give me a muffin and a tea. In Canada, $5 bills are blue. <laughs> Just to make the story make more sense. Like, and I could have also said, hey, can I play you a song? And maybe you could give me coffee. Could I sweep the floor and you'll give me coffee? There are other ways to exchange. And money's a pretty workable one over large scales. But we need to remember and see that it's an agreement. If you want an in-depth, excellent discussion about economics and the origins of capitalism and the effects of the whole way we see money and uh, dives into other ways of considering and running a large-scale economy, check out Charles Eisenstein's book, Sacred Economics. It's a, yeah, you it's highly recommended by me. So the second story, these are sort of all tied together, but a little bit disjointed. One of the reasons why it's amazing to me that I was able to put a large RRSP contribution this week is because about exactly two years ago, I was exactly broke. In my adult life, I've normally survived with kind of between a thousand to five thousand dollars in my bank account. And uh that was how I operated. But two years ago, in I almost want to say I don't really know how it happened, but I'm sure I could track it. I ended up with I think I was down to thirty dollars in my bank account. And I was coming back from Mexico, which is probably one of the reasons I had less money in my bank account. But I also thought it would have help me have more because it's cheaper there. It was a not that thought through situation. And there was this existentially terrifying feeling of that I had no money. As if money was needed to survive. Which it seems to be. But also isn't. Because what you actually need to survive is like food and shelter and friends. And... So I got back to Canada with about $30 in my bank account. And then I discovered that I had a, a Mac, a Mountain Equipment Co-op gift certificate, or like a gift card that was worth $40. So <laughs> that was worth more than any money I had in my bank account at the time. And I'm in Vancouver, having to, you know, pay for the buses and watching my coins go down. Because so it's very easy to track money when you only have $30. And was on my way to my auntie's house and I remember 
going to Mac and buying energy bars with my gift certificate because I, I thought food is more useful to me than this gift certificate. Normally I would never buy $40 worth of energy bars. I would like buy a pair of nice Merino socks or something. But at that point, what I needed to feel a little bit more secure was to have power bars in my backpack. (laughs) Yeah, when I think of that story now, I just feel this kind of, I feel that wanderer feeling like, wow, that was a little bit dire, but also not. Like, I mean, I never went hungry. And, and then people around me, I want to say came to my rescue in, in that they still hosted me. Some dear people gave me money. Some people gave me work and I started to not be broke anymore. But that the moment of realizing that I wanted food, not money, that was more important, was and remains profound. A few shortly after that, I was house sitting and still trying to make little bits of money to get out of this broke situation. Which is interesting language. Broke as in we only function with money. Anyways. And in the house sit the woman whose house I was taking care of had not prepared for winter. She had not, uh, yeah, had foresight to prepare for the winter. And so it was now February and I was in her house running out of firewood. And then it snowed a lot. And, and, and I was getting cold and the electric system in her house was very touch and go and not to be relied upon. So I needed to have firewood for the wood stove. And not that I, I was just starting to get little bits of money. I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll use the rest of my money to buy a load of firewood so I can be warm. Well, it turns out all the firewood was in the whole community was under like two feet of snow. Nobody was buying. You couldn't buy firewood. Like, even if I'd had money, I couldn't get firewood, which is what I actually needed to stay warm. And there was this, again, this sort of, like, sinking feeling, like, oh, shit. Like, now this is actually getting real. Like, I'm cold. And so I put the word out to people I knew, and I said, and when you live somewhat rurally with a bunch of people with wood stoves, it's a matter of, like, your wood stove pile is, like, more important than your bank account. That's your, like, actual winter security. Like, your real security. And so I felt very sheepish having to say, somehow I'm in a situation with no dry firewood. But I swallowed my pride and I announced that I was out of dry firewood. And the people around me were generous. They said, come over and get a trunk full of firewood from my, from my pile. I needed piles that were already established that were dry and between three or four different households who said come and take a a trunk full I had plenty of firewood and when I left the house sit I left dry firewood for her when she got back and I retain that story as this feeling of like 
Like money couldn't help me then. What I needed was friends. I needed the generosity of other people. And it was so good to feel the end of the usefulness of money. Yeah. So when I think of that phrase, money doesn't grow on trees, I often think of that like, well, but trees grow and trees are more valuable than money. Like as far as heating and beauty and oxygen and lessons and habitat. I think that we're treating our trees often like they are money because they can be converted into money. So maybe money does grow on trees, but trees grow, which is more important. And I remember when I needed dry firewood and money wasn't going to help me get it. It wasn't purchasable. It was, it was just through the generosity of people. The fourth story is a note on a famous line in the Bible where uh, Jesus says something I'm loosely quoting in English and he would have not been speaking in English. Render to Caesars what is Caesars and render to God's what is God's. Uh, In other words, and this is after somebody, he asked to look at a coin and Caesar's face was on it. Caesar was the political ruler of the day. And so he said, you know, this was about paying taxes, that yes, you should give to Caesar what is Caesar's because Caesar's face was on all the money, which is maybe a suggestion to pay your taxes (laughs) or, but I think it's been taken to kind of dichotomize money away from spirituality that as if God, whatever your notion of that is or something important and beautiful and divine that money isn't a part of that and I disagree I disagree that money isn't spiritual because as I see it really everything is everything is connected to the life force and our way of being in the world so I think we've caused ourselves and our structures and our relationships and our politics, all a disservice by thinking that money would be separate from our spirituality, whatever that means to you. That's sort of like the driving essence of you and your, what you're trying to be. Money isn't apart from that. And for a long time, I think I thought it was kind of like bad because it wasn't God's, like money wasn't God's and God was good. Money was bad. And as I understand it, money is neutral it's an agreement, it's a tool, it's a symbol, and you can make it and use it in all sorts of different ways. So, and the way in which we make it and use it and share it is profoundly spiritual. It is part of our essence and the enactment of our essence. So, I'm not sure if that's what Jesus meant underneath that, but the way his words have been often taken to mean, I disagree with. Number five. Oh, this is number five related to the podcast. I've started a Patreon account. Patreon is this, I think, really cool thing. uh, An online program where artists and makers and creators of things can have uh, supporters. 
like, I used to think that patron, uh, a patron was like an old fashioned word for a rich person that supported an artist, like a patron of the arts. So this is kind of a take on that, but you don't have to be rich to join whatever rich means to you. (laughs) Um, Because Patreon enables the artist, in this case me, to set levels of um, participation and like cost and reward, I suppose, um, for like a subscription sort of. And so, so I've set one up because I think it's great. And so I make these podcasts, they're free. You can listen to it. I don't expect any money back. Um, this is my thing I'm putting out into the world and you get to listen to it, share it. You can listen to it as many times as you like. You can like it or not. There's this interesting sort of letting go that I have to do when I make one of these. However, I've also set up a Patreon account because I think it's neat. If you want to make this a mutual exchange, like a back and forth, then this is an opportunity for you to do that. You, if you go to patreon.com slash magic for realists, you'll find the page and there's four different levels of subscription. No, three. I'm making three with my finger and saying four. Anyways, and different amounts of money, the, the smallest one being $4 a month. And then I offer things back to you in addition to this podcast. So if that's of interest to you, I'm going to leave it a little bit mysterious at this point what the exchange is, but I'd be thrilled if you went over there and over as if it was a place. It's a ephemeral webpage, but if you go over to the ephemeral webpage and check out patreon.com, then if you give me some money, I will give you something else. Uh, So that's the number five, talking about money as it relates to this podcast. Number six, I was a barista for a long time and baristas get to make tip jars in front of, or in my case, I got to design the tip jars in front of the, like on the counter. And so often we had three tip jars (laughs) with like, as if it was sort of a competition, like, you know, which do you like beaches or, or forests better or would you be an elf or a reindeer? Whatever the thing was that we thought was funny at the time. And then people would put coins in different ones. People would think that it was like an actual competition, but I could like move the coins around whenever I wanted. So, and I got all the coins at the end of the, of my shift. And so baristas develop tricks around like the, sometimes the pricing of things is considered, is considered so it's not um, an even increment. So for example, if something's like 280, then chances are you're going to put the other 20 cents in the tip jar. But if something is like 230, then you might just keep the 70 cents. So there's like the relationship between price and tip. And then there's the trying to guess, like, why is a certain day a better tip day than others? Um, is it because I wore lipstick? Is it because I'm having a bad day that people are feeling sympathetic? Is it just the moon? Is it that I'm actually making better coffee? Is it just the combination of people? It's this whole game that I'm sure if you've ever had a job with tips, you play. And if you haven't, I just wanted you to know that that's a thing. And, and I thought after being a barista that I would be a very generous tipper in all circumstances. 
and I'm, and I'm not. Because I still think tips are kind of, I think you should have to do something special. I still resent the notion that you have, you're supposed to give a tip when nothing special has happened. You know, like when the person hasn't been particularly delightful or it hasn't been really delicious. I think that wages should be high enough that tips aren't factored into it being an equitable job and that tips are like, wow, like an extra thing that you did really well. So I don't find myself tipping extra unless it was really great. Um, yeah, so I wonder what your relationship with tipping is. Speaking of relationships, number seven is to note that money between people can be a big source of discord. And this is one of the reasons why I just want to loosen up the conversation a little bit is because in people who are close to us talking about money, I think is helpful. Um, and maybe it's the people we share money with, like go out for dinner with, or go on a trip with, or live with just that, um, money can cause tension. And one of the things I think we need to remember is that it's our felt experience of money, of whether we feel like we have enough or not enough or a lot that's what matters in our experience. It's not the number. So talking about numbers is a little bit useful, but not as useful as talking about how it feels. Um, for a while I was with somebody who had a lot more money than me. And so we talked about money quite a bit and we were on a trip together and we'd play around with how to share expenses. Sometimes he would pay for the really, you know, like the flight or some large lump. And then we would split everything after that. Uh, because honestly, I couldn't afford to have the vacations that he could afford. And, uh, but one time we tried a different strategy where we made a joint wallet for the week or 10 days and we didn't contribute evenly to it. So I forget the exact proportion, but I think we decided on something like, I'm going to say 35, 65 or 60-40 or something around there. But he contributed more to the wallet than I did. So for every $30 I, I put in, he put in 70, for example, or 60-40, whatever the ratio was. And then... And then we spent the wallet money on stuff that we were both enjoying. And we just wanted to see how that felt. And what we noticed was that we arrived at something closer to the same experience. As in, when, when we were splitting at 50-50, for example, we'd go out for dinner. And, and I wouldn't think about ordering an appetizer, for even for us to share. Because it it was a bigger expense in my ratios than it was to him. Or he would, you know, would be like, oh, sure, let's go do this X activity. And I would have some hesitancy because I knew that how much it cost and I knew how many hours I'd worked for that. Whereas in his mind, he wasn't even calculating the hours because it was not very significant. 
But when we put in disproportionate amounts, I started feeling a little bit looser, a little bit like, oh yeah, let's just get that. That'll be great. That'll be nice. And he started being a little bit more hesitant, like, oh, I'm not sure we need that extra pack of cheese. And from all we could tell, we arrived at a similar felt sense of like cost and benefit. And we noticed that we both felt more generous. Like I felt so grateful to be liberated a bit, to not feel so uh, weighed down by these prices that I wanted to make supper or do the dishes or whatever. And, and then he felt grateful for the, what I was, you know, like it was, there was this gratitude to the exchange. Um, so I, I share that story to point out that, um, things being split in half by numbers, if you're going for an equitable experience is often not the way to achieve it. And this is delicate because money carries power and, and influence. And so sometimes it's not clean. If you actually, somebody could feel like they were being pitied or, um, infantilized. I'm not sure that's the right word, but like belittled, um, almost like you were being their parent or something. If you gave them the smaller, like they only had to put in 30%, but done well, there might be an opportunity to discuss, um, having it actually feel fair. Um, because asking everybody to contribute to something equally won't give them the same experience if their budgets are really different. Um, so in whatever way that might apply to you, consider that. Number eight is the question, so hey, what do you do for a living? How many times have you asked that question to somebody or had it asked to you? Like, you know, you're just getting to know somebody and they say, yeah, what do you do for a living? So what I love to do after that point is say, do you mean, how do I make my money? Actually, that sounds a little bit incredulous. I ask, oh, do you mean, how do I make my money? (laughs) Because I want to, I want to know, is that actually what you want to know? And so in this case, how do I make my money? Well, currently I work as an office manager for a chiropractor and I clean and tidy some houses and I mail out uh, yoni eggs and I sew some things and I do services for a church, interdenom- uh, broadly spiritual services. And so that said, I have several, ma- oh yeah, if you, su- if you subscribe on Patreon, I'll be making money that way. So I have several ways that I make money, but what do I do for a living? I make stuff. I make salad. I have a garden. I make love with my boyfriend. I go for walks. I mend clothes. I love swimming in the summertime. That's what I do for a living. And I'm lucky that I don't feel like the ways I make money are separate from that. They're all included. But I wouldn't want you to think that the way I make money is 
entirely the way that I make a living, that I make my life. So I dare you to ask the question you actually want to know the answer to. You could ask, I'm curious, what's your job? Or what are you passionate about? Or so tell me, what's your life about? Any of those questions. But I think this, what do you do for a living is just poorly phrased and problematic. So let's change that one and uh, ask what you mean. And I think it's, it makes sense that we want to know how people make their money. I actually wish I'd asked more people that question and that I'd also asked, what do you do with your money? <laughs> like, do you have it in a bank account? Did you buy gold? I bought, oh yeah, I bought gold when I, I sold a car um, 10 years ago or something and I got a big chunk of money at the time and I bought some gold and then I buried it under a tree. And I didn't know anybody at the time who'd bought gold and buried under a tree. And in the end, it didn't end up being a financially beneficial decision. <laughs> but I'd like to know, what do other people do with their money? Do they keep it in a sock? Do they keep it in the freezer? By the way, freezers are a good place to keep cash because they're kind of fireproof boxes. So my mom taught me that. Freezers are a good place to keep actual bills because they're safe from fire. Because money in banks is vulnerable to other things, but money in paper is vulnerable to fire. Uh, so freezers. Um, so I might, maybe we want to ask more people, how do you make money and what do you do with it? And how do you feel about it? Uh, so these have been a few of my thoughts about money. I think it's one of those things that we say is in the real world, like, you know, grow up and deal with money. It's in the real world. But I want to point out that there's another level of real where money isn't there. It's not the thing that keeps you warm or keeps you fed or keeps you loved. In a, it's, it's almost not real. And it's almost magical in that the way that it appears and disappears and gets us things has this I would say magical, almost sparkling, ununderstandable quality to it. And even when I analyze my own numbers, I'm still, money still amazes me that I can have a bunch of bills on my bed and then a few hours later I can have a car when I didn't have anything to do with building the car. <laughs> So it's an amazing long, long, long series of agreements that these, the money gets us. So I hope that this has been interesting and maybe it loosens some of your ideas and your experience around money so that you can feel a bit more levity and possibility as you navigate money. If you'd like to share any stories with me, or ask me any questions, I would be thrilled to hear from you. You can contact me through Instagram at magic for realists or on the website magicforrealists.ca. I'm so glad you listened. And if you think that anybody else would enjoy listening, I would be honored if you'd share this episode. I also really appreciate if you subscribe and rate the show on whatever podcast app you listen to. If you add a comment and a review, I'd be 
extra delighted because I do actually want more people to hear this. I like the idea of these thoughts getting out into the world in their own kind of fluttering, pollinating sort of way. So if you'd like to be a part of that, I'd be really thrilled. And so thanks for listening. I hope that you have a good week and that in your noticing around money, there's some new sparks of possibility and humor and generosity. Yeah, until next time, may you experience the magic of the real world. Bye for now.